Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. (sighs) Okay. Hello, hi, and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show, and we're shifting gears a little bit. Normally, you're used to me being joined by a guest, and they will share with me their life lessons, but today it's just going to be you and me. And the reason we're going to be having this one-on-one time together is because I posted something on Instagram recently about having an eating disorder, and the response was so overwhelming and huge with so many people saying that it resonated that it seemed appropriate to have this conversation with you. So this is an episode that you might want to listen to if what I'm about to say in the next 60 to 90 seconds resonates with any of your lived experience or any feelings that you've ever had. So I was in my 40s when I realized that the way that I ate resembled an eating disorder. And it's important that we come back to that a little bit later in the episode. But for many, many years, I was utterly, totally and completely preoccupied with how my body looked, what size it was, how much it weighed. And I was also utterly at the will of food. I thought about it constantly. I would bargain in my head from the second I woke up to the second I went to sleep about what I could or couldn't eat. And crucially, I think the expression is what I could get away with because the stuff that I wanted to consume were things that I knew weren't great for me. Not just because they weren't particularly dense in any kind of nutritional value, but because They weren't to satisfy hunger, it was to satisfy another need. But it took a really, really long time to identify that. So in this episode, I want to share with you what my journey has been, so that if any of it resonates, you can perhaps piece together what's going on for you. And I will say this at the beginning of the show, and I will say it at the end of the show. I can't give you any answers, but there are resources available. I can tell you my experience and I can share with you what has been useful for me. But if it is something that you require help with, it is something you require help with. It's a very, very tough battle to try and fight on your own. There are very, very many resources like BEAT, um, Eating Disorder Support in the UK, um, Seed Support. I will put all the links in the show notes. But there is help. But the first step 
is identifying whether you have an issue that needs to be dealt with. So I thought a nice way to start would be to actually read to you the post that I put up on social media. Because as much as it is my experience, it is also a veneer of the experience, which means it's a good starting point. So this is how it began. This is how it reads. I'm in recovery from an eating disorder. There, I said it. Truthfully, I feel fraudulent to say those words because I know people with eating disorders who have fought for their lives or are fighting for their lives. I know people who have died from eating disorders and my experience doesn't feel legitimate when it looks so different from theirs. I'm in recovery from something resembling binge eating disorder, which the definition on the Beat ED support website reads, a serious mental illness where people eat very large quantities without feeling like they're in control of what they are doing. And I say resembling because rather than mindless binging, my experience is a total preoccupation with food until I finally gave in. And then I would find it very, very difficult to stop. I don't know what feeling I'm expecting to find when I start eating, but I can tell you that even at the end of vast quantities and a wide variety of food, I have never, not once, felt satiated mentally, physically or emotionally. I've been doing really well over the last few years, but recently I experienced my most significant setback and I had spiraled into behaviours around food that genuinely scare me now because I know what they can lead to. My issues with food, if they spiral, lead to weight gain. For me, being heavier is an indicator that I'm using food to cope, to feel something, to self-soothe. In my case, eating to the point where I gain significant weight is self-harm, is the evidence of self-harm. Before I got on the road to recovery, I would always be thinking about food. I would be mentally bargaining with myself about what I could get away with. I would feel the constant pull towards foods with no real nutritional value, treats, fast food, grab bags and the like, and I would do anything to accommodate them. Multi-packs were a no-go because I would inevitably eat them all in one sitting or eat most of them and then flush the rest down the toilet or dispose of them in a way where I couldn't go and retrieve them. And so I just stopped having food in the house as a result. Feeling like this every day about something you need in order to survive is utterly exhausting and I'm sharing my experience with you, albeit a veneer of it because it was Eating Disorders Awareness Week and help is available. If you're minimising your experience because it doesn't look like like your idea of an eating disorder but you feel your relationship with food is unhelpful or hindering you in any way, then I encourage you to seek help and listeners in the caption I then tagged um, eating disorder helplines and charities who have excellent advisors who can help with this and also hospitals and special institutes who actually focus on helping people with eating disorders. And perhaps a great thing to unpick here is what an eating disorder looks like. And in that last paragraph when I said if you're minimizing your experience. So I've never received a formal diagnosis which makes me feel even more fraudulent to even say these things. But I have spoken to, and you've probably heard those conversations on this podcast, psychotherapists like Mandy Saligari. I've spoken to Dr. Joanna Silver, who's at the Ori Clinic. I've spoken to Jess from Beat. And I have discussed with them at length, both on tape and off tape, what I've experienced. And that was confirmation I needed that what I was going through was more than just, oh, she just eats a bit too much which is what I thought it was for a very, very long time. 
But I had a real picture in my head of what an eating disorder was. I thought it was either something that was overly restrictive or something that was overly restrictive until the point of binging, and then there would be a purge. I actually didn't know until I had a conversation with Dr. Rupi Orgela, who's also been a guest on this podcast. I spoke to him off tape about it. And I didn't know that there was something as nebulous in the space in between those things as a binging, binge eating disorder. And that actually you could, you could be struggling with food and how you look and feel and not be uh, what you would say would be characterized by anorexia or uh, nervosa or anorexia, bulimia. It was so shocking to me that actually the majority of people who struggle with food, if you actually look at the statistics, sit in the space in between. And what felt even worse about that is that what is a mental illness can look like and is often dismissed as being greedy or having no willpower or having no self-control. And that was what I thought I was for a very long time. I just thought I was a greedy girl who liked food and thought about it all the time. I didn't know that there was something bigger, that that was actually an indicator of a problem. Not just a problem, but something that I could get help with and something that I could overcome. And I've talked on the podcast about how my breast reduction was a, a really big sort of line in the sand for me to to make the progress that I wanted to make with how I felt about my body because I spent my savings and went under general anesthetic to have a breast reduction because I thought that that would fix how I felt about my body. If I have smaller boobs, that would I'd look smaller um, and that would be great. That'd be fantastic. And to come out of that operation and to feel really disappointed was a horrible, horrible shock. And so even though it was a shock and it felt sad and I thought, oh my God, I've made a huge mistake. I didn't, by the way, it's the best thing, one of the best things I've ever done. It was a really good way to shine a light on what was really going on and to say, there's more here than just, there's, there's more here than just how you look. So let's investigate, let's interrogate what's really going on. And I know I've probably, if you're a long time listener, you would have heard this story, but a few months before I had the breast reduction, I had Alex Light on the podcast. Alex Light is an author and a body positivity activist. And she had suggested I read this book called Brain Over Binge. And I was thoroughly insulted because the idea of binging, I don't binge. I was so embarrassed at the idea that I would do such a thing and ashamed that she might think that I did that kind of thing because, again, it's what you build up in your mind of what an eating disorder looks like. And I didn't think I binged. But then after the breast reduction surgery and after realizing there was something more going on because I was at my heaviest weight again and I couldn't honestly face all the exercise and all the restriction again because I knew that what, what had always been at the end of all of that effort all of that exercise, getting up at five o'clock in the morning and running and being really careful about my food and feeling terrible if I had to go out for friends with dinner in case I might eat something that would throw me off plan. So I was at my heaviest weight again and I knew that the way to get down from that heaviest weight was to do what I'd always done before, which was to exercise a lot and also to really massively restrict my food. But as part of that process, I actually shut myself off from living my life in order to do that. And what I mean by that is, in order to feel as though I'm in the right mindset, I used to think that that meant waking up very, very early and exercising first thing. 
So that kind of wipe, would wipe out the morning, make me quite antisocial. I'd always be thinking the night before, I can't stay for this because I've got to get up early to exercise. With food, I'd be so restrictive that I wouldn't go out because going out for dinner with friends would mean possibly eating more than I had planned to, which would make me spiral. And this is one thing that was said to me repeatedly by Dr. Joanna Silva when I had her on the podcast is, it's a preoccupation with size, weight, and shape and the way that you're eating. And that was definitely, definitely true for me. And the other reason, aged 41, I didn't want to get back into my sport kit and start pounding the pavement again because the way I'd always done it before had been running. And the reason why I didn't want to restrict all of my food so massively is because it had never worked long-term. And I just think I'd reached that age or I'd, there'd been so much water under the bridge, if you like, that to, to do all of that, knowing that I might, or not might, but would probably be, no, I would be back to where I started at some point, whether it be 18 months, two years, three years later, felt like I'd be stupid if I did that. And it felt appropriate to look for another alternative way of doing it. And I think it was understanding that actually in order to get the exercise part right and in order to get the food right, I had to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. And for me, when I really looked at it, it came down to my choices and they were so conflicting. So in my head, all I wanted to do was lose weight. But my behaviors, if you had seen those in isolation, did nothing to support that goal. So every day I'd wake up, I wish I was smaller. Or I wish I wouldn't eat so much. I was, I was constantly preoccupied with this idea that I was too big. I was fat. That's how I thought I was fat and I didn't want to be fat anymore. And so with, and it, it occupied so much mental and emotional space that you would think that my behaviors would be like, well, that must be enough to get her to not eat in the way that she does and to actually maybe get up and move. But it wasn't. I would self-sabotage every single day. I'd get up with the best of intentions, thinking about it all the time, and then I would sabotage it. And I would go for long stints without eating. And that would be the only time when I would feel I was winning. Uh, this vocabulary is so, it's so awful to use, but I just want to be really honest about my experience. I would honestly think that if I could, the longer I could go without eating, the better. But realizing now with the recovery that I've done, it was because food was the enemy. So even letting it have a little bit of space in my day at breakfast, a little bit of my space, space in my day at lunchtime was like letting, letting in an enemy, letting in the foe. So I would just try as much as possible. And I'd feel really like I'm doing really well if I could get to dinner time and not eat. And that is really unhealthy. But what happens when you haven't fed yourself, haven't nourished yourself, and then you finally do, you tend to eat to excess. So the behaviors were terrible. The way that I was eating, the way that I was treating myself were so odds with what I wanted, but it was also just a way to just not feel particularly good anyway. So I knew that I had to take that step back and look at what I was doing and sort of put the goal of weight loss, which was my goal, to one side for a moment and look at the behaviors and how I was acting around food. And also getting myself in front of people on this podcast who are experts in this so that I could interrogate them and begin to find the answers. So I said right at the top of the podcast that I 
haven't been diagnosed with an eating disorder. And I think that's really important to say because self-diagnosis can be helpful, but it can also be really unhelpful. And what I mean by that is, even though I have said I have something resembling binge eating disorder, which sounds like something that a medical professional has told me, it is something that I have deduced and been told by the people that I've spoken to on this podcast. But any diagnosis, I believe, is only as good as what you choose to do with it. So when I was in my teens, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. And at the time, I was preoccupied with how I looked, my body shape, my weight, my food. And that diagnosis of polycystic ovarian syndrome, even though it was a good thing, it actually was a stop in terms of dealing with my weight because it was like, oh, that's why. That's why I'm overweight. It's because I've got polycystic ovarian syndrome. Nothing I can do, not my problem. I can eat lettuce and I'll still gain weight. And that was wholly inaccurate. And so in many ways, that diagnosis, although helpful in some areas of my life, was really disempowering when it came to how I treated my body because it was almost like, well, there's nothing you can do. And there was a lot of untangling of that diagnosis that I had to do. With the diagnosis of or with the self-diagnosis, with support from the people that I've mentioned, I felt like this was a go. This was like the start button of, okay, so this is what you're dealing with. This is real, but it's something you can overcome and it's something you can work on. And that to me was a gift. It was like a light had been shone on me. It didn't have to be like this forever. This mental preoccupation with how I looked, my weight, my clothes size, what people thought of me, all of the things that were related to how I thought my my appearance impacted my life. These were all things that I could turn into shadows and echoes and not into these really bright, vivid things that constantly took up my mental real estate. And so that was what was really empowering. So when I put the post up on Instagram, I had a lot of people say, I absolutely, you've said and you've put into words what I feel every day. And that's great if somebody for the first time is realizing that they're not alone. But I just want to caution anyone who feels any semblance of similarity in the experience that I've articulated in your experience. Just because it has a name, the most empowering thing you can do is then use that to go to the next move, to make your next move, which is perhaps to seek help or to look at your relationship with food, look at your relationship with how you think about your body and to actually make positive behavior changes because it would break my heart if I put that up there and somebody thought, oh yeah, no, that sounds like me. I've probably got binge eating disorder too. Oh, that's why. And then it became a full stop because my objective with every episode of this podcast is to empower the listener and to shine a light on sometimes the darker stuff so that you can move forward positively. And it would be really disappointing if somebody's interpretation of that meant that they actually, their development was arrested and didn't move forward. So that would be my caution. And the symmetry or the parallel I'd like to mention here is with mental health. So again, you don't have to have got too far into this episode to know that I'm quite honest. And when I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety, I found it to be the most helpful thing that had ever happened. Because for a long time, I was just skating through life, not knowing why I was so miserable, not knowing why things affected me so much and not understanding why I was so sad and felt defeated all the time. 
And when somebody said, well, you are depressed and you're anxious, again, I had the same reaction to realizing that I had something resembling binge eating disorder because it was like, <gasps> and I can do something about those things. There's, there's medications, there's counseling, there's all of these different things. Fundamentally, the things that I was empowered to do was to make behavior changes. And so even though it can feel like a label, it doesn't define you. It's an experience that you're having and it's something that you can move on from. So yes, it's not nice to hear somebody say you're depressed, but it depends how you view it. It's like, well, yeah, I'm depressed and you can help me with that, right? <laughs> the same is true for understanding that what's going on with you and food and your body image is something that can be defined by a medical professional is that you can look at that on paper or wherever you see it and you can go, but there's a route out of this, isn't there? We can work on this and it will get better. That to me is why I want to share my experience because it can get better. It will get better. I'm not necessarily telling you that it's going to be easy, but it can happen. And one of the reasons why I posted this is because recently my recovery had had a little bit of a blip, shall we say. And I've said before, in quite a glib fashion on this podcast, oh, um, yeah, recovery isn't linear. It's a nice thing to say, and it sounds quite, quite benign, but actually when you do feel your recovery backsliding, it can be quite scary. It can be quite terrifying, especially if the place that you've come from is one that you desperately don't want to go back to. And I would say that's true both for my mental health and for my um the, the physical things with food and with how I view my body image and my weight. But you absolutely can make those changes and you can get back to where you were, but it is not always the easiest process because sometimes you have to accept, yep, yeah, I'm back to where I was or I'm a little bit further away from where I want to be. And galvanizing the energy to get back to the place you were when there wasn't any friction on your recovery can take a little bit of time. But if you've done the work previously, each relapse or each blip will get easier to overcome. And that's been my experience. It's just been my experience that my latest episode for, for very many reasons was one that felt like it happened quite quickly. And uh, I could feel the impact. I could, I could feel that things were definitely not okay. Because I think sometimes these things can creep up on you and this one didn't. This one kind of hit me between the eyes and then I couldn't I couldn't fix it. It was taking me a while to get purchase on my recovery, but I did get there. So just know that sometimes it isn't easy, but you just have to keep at it and it will come. It's just, it's, you just have to keep practicing and over time. And the other thing that made me talk about this is because a few times recently on the podcast, it's come up. Uh, whether it's in speaking to other people about the things that they've had to overcome and maybe they've talked about recovery in its own way and then I sort of nod along but I don't want to share my experience because it feels that having something resembling binge eating disorder that looks a bit greedy for, to the outside world is a sort of a silly thing to mention when someone's talked about coming off crack or what have you. But I was talking to Michael Maisie and he asked me directly, he's quite direct, he's very intense and quite direct and he said, are you in recovery? And I think I went, um, uh, um, well, kind was not really, and just really minimized it and tried to push it away. But because Michael is kind of quite intuitive, he, we ended up having a conversation. He was, was explaining to me what's going on. 
And I said, and he said, well, then you're in recovery. And actually, again, a bit like the self-diagnosis or the diagnosis, it was something I, I suppose I'd shied away from. And I don't think I'd shied away from it because I was worried that saying I was in recovery meant anything bad about me. But again, it was sort of comparing my experiences to other people and thinking, well, it's not as bad as what other people have to put up with. But again, sort of that shift, that shift in mindset of thinking, yeah, I am in recovery. Again, it's an empowering thing because you think, well, I know what recovery entails. I've read enough about it. I, I've listened to other people's experience. So I know that it's a lifelong work. And I don't mind that it's, I don't mind that I'm going to have to be in recovery. I don't know if that's the right vocabulary. I don't mind that I am in recovery now and that recovery will be for the rest of my life. Because thank goodness, what's the alternative? If the alternative is how I was living or not living before, then I don't want to go back there. And not living's really important. I said I didn't go out to dinner with friends because I'd be worried about eating too much. But I've called in, I've, I've canceled on people last minute because I didn't like how I looked and I felt embarrassed to go out in public. It has been the thing that has stopped me living so much of my life. And that's all of my 20s and all of my 30s. Just lived through the experience of, I'll do it when I'm smaller. I'll do it when I can trust myself around food. All of these things. So it's life limiting. So again, and I talk about the experts that I've spoken to, whether it's Mandy Saligari, and she talks about the preoccupation with food and it taking up so much brain space you realize god this thing really was just it just had control of everything it wasn't just that i struggled with food it wasn't just that i got really upset if i couldn't fit into my clothes anymore it was the thing that informed my decisions about what i did with my life like what job i would go for which friends i would hang out with um what weddings i would go to like Everything was dictated by what was going on up here. And it was all tied up with body shape, weight, food. And I'm happy to say I have been freed from that. But the recovery means that from time to time it requires more effort. And I have to be conscious and have boundaries around it so that I, I don't backslide. And that means owning it and sometimes saying to people, I'm going to come out, I'm going to, not even I'm going to come out, but I was with friends recently. Okay, let's, let me describe it like this. I knew I was backsliding and I was with a friend recently. I was at her house and she had done this incredible cheese board. Now, if you know me, you know I love cheese. And she had put together this incredible, incredible cheese board. And inside I'm already panicking. I'm already like, oh, I'm not doing very well at the moment. I know what can happen here. All I'm going to do is just be thinking about this cheese. I'm trying to listen to what she's saying to me, but I'm thinking about the runny brie. That, it takes over. So I might be looking at you having a conversation, but I'm thinking about the food. And it sounds so silly, but that was, that's been my experience for a really long time. And I had a little bit, and then I just very calmly said, I've been really struggling with food again a bit recently, so I'm not going to have any more. But please, don't not enjoy it, because I'm not going to. But I know what will happen if if I don't check this and she was brilliant because she said would you like me to take it off the table and I said no no it's absolutely fine being there I just need you to know that I having these issues at the moment and a cheese board is 
really affecting me. I mean, imagine saying that to another human being, a cheese board's really bothering me. But yeah, those words actually came out of my mouth. But it was great to have a friend who understood it, was prepared to move it. But it was also really good for me to, it can be there. I just need to sort of almost say out loud, there's a line here and that's it. And it was very, it was a very calm thing. But in the past, I would have just not gone or I would have made a really funny excuse about, oh, I'm doing this gut microbiome thing so I can't eat dairy. I would have thought of a way, I would have taken up all that mental effort to think of a reason. How can I not eat something and make her believe that the reason why I'm not eating it is valid? And actually to say I struggle with food and so having a bit of a, I'm backsliding at the moment, so I'm gonna pass. If you feel comfortable in that environment, that actually I found that to be a really empowering thing for me to do. Also made me know, maybe know I was in the company of a really good friend. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I suppose, to be really honest about what it's like to uh, have something resembling binge eating disorder. I should really be honest with you about what the behaviors looked like that I had to correct. It's all very well and good for me to see to say that I had to change my behaviors, but I should probably give you a little bit of an insight as to what some of those behaviors looked like. So yes, it would be that I didn't go out and I didn't eat with friends because I'd be scared of eating too much. But on the day-to-day, -day, the stuff that kind of probably looked like a normal day for me was things like waking up and having an absolutely insatiable pull to a large amount of food. And that would be fine if I had exercised a lot, I had uh, required a lot of food, but this was the pull to a quantity of food that did not match with my body's actual requirements. And it would always be beige food, crunchy food, toasted food, uh, fast food. It would always be this pull, 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 pull. And I have to say, I was never a big one for fast food. I would always be able to stop myself before I would. So I didn't eat it very often, but when I did, it would be, uh, it would be a lot. It would be a lot. And I remember when my mental health was really struggling too, I wasn't leaving the house very much at all. This is pre-lockdown era. This was just my choice not to go outside. And I would spend the whole day waiting as long as possible to eat. 
And then when I did eat, I would justify a big Domino's pizza. Other pizzas are available, but I would justify a big pizza that I would eat in one sitting with a lot of sauces and a lot of sides. Or I would wait till the last minute, wait until it was dark, crucially, and then run to the supermarket and buy the donuts that had been reduced because they were basically stale at that point in the day because they'd been in a supermarket for 12 hours. And then I would eat those over the sink and I would eat them in a way where I would try to just eat the jam because the jam's healthier. <laughs> I, don't, I would just try to sort of nibble into the donut and just eat the jam. But inevitably, like the majority of the donut would go and I could do one or two packets. And if you had shown me me doing those things, I would have been really appalled. But at the time, they felt amazing. But it was very, very short-lived. It was very, very short-lived. It was like, this is the best part of my day. This is the best part of my day. Oh, finally doing something. This feels good. This tastes good. And it's, <laughs> it's so depressing to think about that. And then there would be the days where... I'd sort of catch myself halfway through and the pizza would go in the bin or the donuts would go in the bin and I'd go into the other room and then 10 minutes later I'd be picking the food out of the bin and eating it because I really needed the food and then you'd eat a bit more and then you go back to the bin and then you realize that actually the only way you're not going to eat out of the bin is to put some sort of cleaning detergent on top of the food in the bin so it essentially becomes poisonous or you empty the bin and put it into a bin far, far away outside where you can't go and get to it. That kind of stuff was regular and happening more than, more than I cared to admit. I have to be completely honest. I was constantly thinking about the things I could get away with. I would go and order a coffee, stand in the coffee shop, and all I could do was just eyeball all of the cakes. All of the cakes, all of the pastries, and I could, it was almost as I'm looking at them, I'm imagining them, I'm imagining tasting them, I'm imagining eating them and how great they would taste with my coffee. And so if I left that coffee shop with just my coffee, it felt like a victory. I'd walk out of there like Rocky running up the steps in, in Philadelphia. I'd just be like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't give into it today. I'm so glad I didn't succumb. And you could say, well, there's absolutely no problem with having a pastry with your coffee. And that's absolutely true. In isolation, there absolutely isn't. But when you stack it up against the other behaviors, you realize that there's just something much, much bigger at play. And also that probably leans really nicely into this idea of food being good or bad. Now, I'm pretty sure I'm a victim of diet culture. Um, although that's not something I necessarily unpick because I can't really extrapolate and interrogate diet culture when I've, I've just got to take care of myself. So I've never really been too too preoccupied with really looking at that bigger picture. I just really want to sort of work on myself. But I have done a lot of diets over the years and I had fundamentally written rules in my head that I applied to food that weren't necessarily nutritionally or scientifically accurate. I'm sure many people listening to this will nod if I say that I didn't think I should really be eating carbs or if I, sh if I was, they should be as few as possible. So I had demonized certain foods. But in demonizing certain foods, I obviously then wanted them more at those moments when I would get that pull towards them. In fact, I remember distinctly one day I had, it was a very, very wet and rainy day. Can't tell you what month it was, but I can just say it was a very, very wet and rainy day. And it was quite late in the evening, probably about, I don't know, 10 o'clock at night. 
And I thought I'd been quite good because I hadn't really eaten that much that day. So I was feeling like, oh, I feel good about today. And then I thought, well, if I haven't really eaten that much today, I can probably eat something bad. And so I got in my car and I drove to the nearest petrol station because the supermarkets were closed, I think. And I parked up on an empty forecourt. There were no other cars. And I hadn't realized it must have been quite late, actually, because um, it was fundamentally the garage was closed. There was a guy there. I think it might have been 24 hour, but you had to pay through the sort of like the window but I hadn't seen any of this. I genuinely think I was in a frenzy. And I remember I just wanted a Snickers ice cream bar. That's what I wanted. I wanted a Snickers ice cream bar. I got in the car. I was like, I think I can justify that. Probably looked up its calories online. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. No problem. No problem. Yeah. Get in the car, get to the forecourt, run up to the door, which won't open because the doors have been locked. You can only pay through the window at this point. And the guy comes out from behind the cashier, comes up to the door and says, what do you want? And I just went, food. And if that isn't an indicator that something was very, very wrong, then I don't know what is. But I just sort of walked away, got in the car and went home. And I can't even remember what I did. But I, a little while later when I thought about that, when I looked at it from a distance, this idea of feeling like I've been good all day so I could have a treat, getting in the car, driving to a petrol station. And then when being asked to articulate what I wanted, just sort of going, food. <laughs> That just felt I, felt, I felt really sad. I felt really sad that my experiences had led me to that point. And I didn't know that there might be, I thought I was just bad and wrong. I didn't know that there was something at play, whether you call it a mental illness, an eating disorder. I didn't know there was something going on that I could get help with. I didn't know that I could have picked up the phone that very night to a support helpline and said, look, this just happened. Is this normal or is it not? And I think that's one of the big things that happens with one's relationship with food and one's relationship with their body image, size, weight, and shape, is that it's so private and we wrap it up in so much shame that we don't want to say out loud what's really going on. I've lost count of the amount of times I used to say to friends, I don't really eat very much. I don't really eat very much. And even though I had been collecting that data and I could my memories would tell you that that wasn't necessarily true. I also knew that for a lot of the time I would try very, very hard not to eat. So maybe when I was saying to friends, I really don't eat that much. It's so unfair. I don't understand why I'm so big. Maybe, maybe I was trying to get them to say, yeah, it's really unfair. It's really unfair. You don't eat much. But then I was also lying to them because I wouldn't really eat when I was with them, the way that I ate publicly and the way that I, I ate privately were very different. And I'm not talking about like the difference between using cutlery when you're <laughs> at lunch with friends versus like resting your plate on your on your stomach as you're in front of Netflix watching something and mindlessly eating. I'm talking about the quantities that I ate in public and private being very different, but also the types of food that I ate in public and private being very, very different. I had a public eating persona and I had a private eating persona. They did not match. And one of them was very much sabotaging my ultimate goal because I didn't like feeling full. I didn't like putting on weight. I didn't like feeling the way that I did. And I suppose for a long time, I thought, oh, I just didn't like being bigger. But I think actually what might have really been going on was that I didn't like knowing deep down that I was self-sabotaging and I didn't know how to stop. I just did not know how to stop. I didn't know that this had a name. I didn't know that this was more than greed. 
And I didn't know that something could be done about it. And the work and realizing that there was something that could be done about it is a gift. It's a gift that I enjoy and it's a gift I want to pass on to anyone else who feels that anything that I have said is even remotely similar, similar to your experience. I've been called greedy in the past. I'd been laughed at for the amount that I ate and felt so ashamed, but I couldn't help myself sometimes. And I didn't like being picked on for something that I was really trying hard to fix, but I was maybe when I was younger, but I really wanted to, I really wanted to not be affected by it, but I had no idea what that would look like. I thought that what that would look like would be living on a diet for the rest of my life. But I can tell you as someone who has overcome it, overcome it for a substantial amount of time now, three years, yes, has had some blips on the road to recovery, but has been able to bounce back from all of them. I can tell you that you don't have to live on a diet. You don't have to constantly be exercising. You don't even have to be thinking about it that much. There is a freedom, there is a, a mental freedom and emotional freedom that comes from saying to somebody, I don't know that the way that I eat and the way that I think about myself physically is helpful and I would like to have that conversation with you so that I can find out if there's something I can do to fix that because it feels quite draining. Because the messages that I got on Instagram after I posted were the familiar people who wrote to me as I would have written to somebody if I'd read that a few years ago. Just desperation, just, oh my goodness, you've put a name to something. I thought I was wrong. Or the way you've described your relationship with food is exactly what I've experienced. And not a single person had thought they were able to go and seek help from an eating disorder charity or get help from a mental health professional because... They didn't think that their experience, though taking up a lot of time and causing them a lot of distress, was worthy of that care and attention and that intervention from somebody who might be able to help them. And I think the message I want to share with you is that you are worthy of that time. You are worthy of that intervention. And if this does cause you any distress, despair, stops you living makes you feel less than then it, it really is time to or I encourage you to ask for help and to see if there is something bigger at play because if there is there is something that can be done about it and I hope that I am proof with a few years under my belt now that it can be done and you can get there regardless of how old you are how long you've been dealing with this what your starting point is, you can do it. <laughs>